This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode. I think it's episode 18 of the new series of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, which is in association with Big Heads Media, as you heard at the start, and also Transfer News Central. I'm Johnny. Retro feel this week. James Prescott is back. Hello, James. Hi, everyone. Uh, hi, Johnny. It's yes. Back. Fantastic. Um, got a lot. Got It's been, it's been a really interesting uh, weekend of football really this week, particularly because of the return of fans in the FA Cup final. It was great to see, um, mm. if you're a neutral or a Leicester City fan at least, it was a great spectacle to watch. I mean, to be honest, James, in terms of the FA Cup, the actual spectacle itself on the pitch, it was it's quite a boring game, but it was just the euphoria of having fans around the stadium. And even though Chelsea lost, I'm sure you can appreciate that it was good to have the fans back in oh absolutely it really was great to have the fans back and um as much as it hurt me to see Leicester win the cup um the react see the reaction of their fans and you know the uh, interaction of the the owner the players and, and the fans afterwards was uh, quite moving and oh, it, it you know football isn't the same without fans mm. uh, and, you know it, it's good that we're getting fans back into the stadium, as long obviously in a safe and appropriate way, mm-hmm. um, but it's good to have fans back, uh, and it's going to be interesting. The next couple of Premier League games, mm. we're going to have fans back in the stadium, yes. and so uh, and there's some big games coming up, you know, um, particularly with the, uh, the top mm. four race. So mm-hmm. that's going to be interesting to see the impact the fans have at stadiums this week. No, it will, it will do, um, and that's 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 sort of a disclaimer I was going to run with on this. That despite the topics we discussed, the the best thing I think we can take out of um, recent events is the return of fans to the FA Cup final. Like you said, James, the return of fans for the final two set of game weeks, which should, well, not should, which will provide each team with an opportunity to play in front of a, a section of their support. Which is why everyone will have a home game and an away game in their final two matches. Um, in terms of the four topics, then. We'll go. We're going to have a bit of reaction to Leicester and Chelsea. Where do they go from here after that? You know, wonderful FA Cup final victory for Leicester. Look at both mm. of those teams in a bit more detail. Um, and then we're going to have a look at something I've been thinking about a little bit: the hundred million pound strikers that keep getting banded around. Are mm. they a solution for everyone? Are they worth the money? Why are they such a rare commodity? Why is there not seemingly more value for money strikers who are very good out there? Who knows? Um, but that, that's just a general gist of a, a topic, really. Lots of questions in 15. Then we've got uh, a look at something James posed me, uh, Guardiola's influence and other foreign manager influences on English football, uh, particularly Guardiola. I think it's been quite obvious to me, at least, certain things. It'd be nice to hear James's thoughts on that, as well as other managers like Klopp, for example. And then we'll have a roundup of results across Europe um, exciting uh, German Cup victory uh, for Borussia Dortmund and also Lewandowski hitting the 40 goal uh, mark for one Bundesliga season which is on par now with Gerd Müller one game away from potentially breaking the record as opposed to staying on level with the record but first we'll go back to um, the game the FA Cup final which as you said, James, was a sad one for you, was a delight for Leicester fans. As a neutral, I was I was more on Leicester's side, having seen, just like you said, the post-match reaction after in and the 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 context behind everything. Um, and Brendan Rogers winning his first trophy in England. 
in in top in a for a Premier League club in England, I must say, because he won the playoff final with Swansea. It was all very touching to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll start with we'll start with Leicester then. We won't go on to Chelsea just yeah. We'll start with Leicester. Uh, from a Leicester perspective, James. Um, I mean, we were talking to uh, Callum Boyle, who was on last week, uh, writer, Leicester City uh, supporter as well. He was on the game at Wembley. He said he thought Leicester would win 1-0. Um, one of the podcast listeners caught up on that, said he should have a regular segment, called him a legend. There's only room for one legend on this podcast, and he's talking right now. Um, but <laughs> he was delighted. He said, actually, James, that if it was came between a top four place and an FA Cup final victory, he'd take the FA Cup final victory. Um, in many ways. I kind of think with what they've done, with how they surprised the football world, even if they did finish fifth again for a second consecutive season, it's still a better season than last season because they've won a trophy they've never won in the history of their football club. Absolutely. No question about it. You know, you win a, you win a trophy, it's always a successful season. Uh, and, you know, to... Even if they... Yeah, you're right. Even if they finish fifth, which, which could still happen... Mm. Um, you know, there could be a come down from the FA Cup final. <laughs> Sometimes you they do this that thing of like after the Lord's Mayor's show. Um depends how, how part how they parted, I suppose. Well, I had this in the back of my exactly, head. Yeah. Um so yeah, um depends on Tuesday's game, which of course is against Chelsea. Yeah. the bridge. But but yeah, no, whatever happens now, they've had a great season. Yeah. Um and you- they can be really proud of what they've achieved and and they're, they're moving forward as a club. They're, they're a very well-run club. Uh, their recruitment is absolutely spot on. Best in England. Um, it, it's really, really impressive uh, for somebody, that, a club that doesn't have the resources of a of a Manchester City or a Chelsea or Manchester United. Um, they create it, don't they? They create it themselves. With- yeah, they built it themselves. And that is that, that is a credit to, to them as a club. It's a credit to Brendan Rodgers as well, who's been part of that. Um, he's done an excellent job there, uh, and they're gonna they're gonna they're going to get better. Mm. Uh, they've already apparently lined up Bakari Sumer the yep. next season as well, who I, which is a very shrewd acquisition. I think twenty million pounds as mm. well. That's mm. a bargain for a player of that quality, and he will improve them. And I'm sure that they'll recruit well in other areas as well. And yeah, they're going to be they're a serious top fourteen now. Mm. I mean, you know, even if they don't finish. Fourth, in the this, top four, the top yeah. This year, I think next year they probably will because they'll be better. Yeah, I mean, give them so much confidence. Winning the FA Cup is will give give them so much confidence mm. going into next season, even mm. if they don't make the top four. Um, One of the things I thought was quite impressive this season is last season they were they were in they, they went into the Europa League and in my head I thought oh you know now they're playing two games a week traveling across Europe. It could have an effect. It has an effect on a loss of teams. Um, it could have an effect on this Leicester team. That's that's you know, that was just my assumption, and it really hasn't actually. It, it's just it, it's been impressive how they managed to handle their European run. They got to the knockout stages, went out a little bit early against um, uh, against Slavia Prague, I think, um, and they went out a little bit early for their liking, um, mm. but. You know they they did remarkably well to fight on two fronts and um and then to keep as I said to keep within the top four hunt. What I think they were expected to happen is to steadily go towards securing the top four, and I don't think 
many Leicester fans, most ardent Leicester fans, weren't feeling particularly confident going to Chelsea. I think the majority had resigned themselves to thinking, this is our year for the top four, but we're probably not going to win the FA Cup. And in reality, it's been the reverse. They've won the FA Cup, and the top four is a little bit precarious, as it is for Chelsea as well. Um, but like, I, like I've said, I think, given how they, they fought on two fronts until going out slightly early in the Europa League, um, they fought on two fronts well. They didn't lose didn't lose their position high up in the Premier League as a result of European commitments. They've won an FA Cup. So, like you say, like I sort of said before, they're going to rec- they're already started. They're already looking like they're going to recruit well again because they always do. Their squad is excellent. Their depth is excellent. Um, and another season, even of European Euro- Europa League football, is still European football and. Like you said, it's sustainable, isn't it? It's a sustainable plan. It's not like a, all our eggs are in this basket and if it fails this season, it's going to collapse. I think it's a it's a plan. It's a, it's a club that plans for the future, that keeps thinking, not just for the season, but for the season after and the season after and the season after. Um, so you're right. If they get fifth this year in the FA Cup, there'll be a bit of a disappointment, but they'll be cherishing that FA Cup victory and they'll have another season of the Europa League and... Um, they'll be very well placed to take an assault on the top four next season. Absolutely. They're, they're building something over a period of time, I think. And as long as I can keep hold of Brendan Rodgers, mm. um, which will become increasingly difficult, by the way, um, the more successful he is, um, especially when, um, you know, Pep Guardiola is going to be what mounted for another mm. two years. And Brendan Rodgers would be a candidate for that job without mm. any question. Um and I think he would have earned, he's, he would have earned it. Mm. Keep doing what he's doing at Leicester, but mm. um, but I think he's committed to Leicester for mm. the, at least the medium term. Yeah. In terms of the next two games, though, James, big games still. I I, I know we, we've talked about how it's still a positive season for them that they'll remember for a long time. I think it's like this: if they get top four and the FA Cup final, it's quite comfortably the second best season of their life. In the in the new Premier League, I think I think it's fair to say yeah. it's one of the best seasons they've ever had because they never won the FA Cup and they'll be they'll be playing Champions League football. That's incredible. Um, but with Chelsea, it's a bit different, isn't it? Because obviously Chelsea expect well, notoriously expect Champions League football, you know, year in year out, and it's really interesting with Tuchel because if if Lampard had seen the season out, I don't think people. I don't think many Chelsea fans would have had them in January when he was still in charge as a top four fit, you know, as a, as a finish in the top four. Yeah, I, I'm, I was a big fan of Frank Lampard. I didn't want him to be sacked. I stuck mm. to mine at the end. However, um, the reality is when he was sacked, Chelsea were ninth. Yep. Uh, and they were about five or six points outside the top four. Mm. They wouldn't have written, a lot of, even a lot of Chelsea fans have written them off mm. for the top four. Um, mm at that point, and they've only lost four games since then in all competitions. Yeah, uh, it's remarkable, isn't it? They've lost two league games, and they've lost the FA Cup final, and they lost to Porto uh, in, the in, a, in a nothing game, game, wasn't it? In a nothing game, which didn't matter. So uh, it's just that two of those games, two of those defeats have come in the last two games, which is a problem. Um, <laughs> two guys done a good job at Chelsea. Mm. Uh, I'm I have no doubt he will be there next season. Mm. Even if even if they finish fifth and they lose the Champions League final, he will be mm. there next season. Mm. Uh, I don't think they're going to 
Uh, I think that they, he hasn't had a transfer window yet. He hasn't had a chance to shape the squad. He he came in in a very difficult situation, mm. um, and he's done a good job. Um, that said, Chelsea have had opportunities to kill off the top four and haven't taken them. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, they could have if they beaten Arsenal. That would have almost been it. Second yeah, second best form in the league um, since he's took over. Only Man City have picked up more points. Yeah, that's true. And people forget that because of the last two games. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Chelsea finished fifth and lose two finals. That's a disappointing season for Chelsea because they they spent over 200 million in the summer. Mm. Uh, and so and on some good players. Mm. You know, they weren't they weren't these weren't duds that they signed. Um I think everyone assumed, everyone said that Chelsea had, had bought well, um, yeah. and and some and at least I think two or three of them have done very well. You know, Mendy's been absolutely phenomenal in goal. Ben Chilwell has got as improved as a player uh, since coming to Chelsea. Um, uh, Thiago Silva's been excellent at the back, and um, those three especially have been have been very good acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and but. Yeah, the expectation at Chelsea is Champions League football every mm. year. That's yeah. the minimum. That's not even the. That's not even you know the you know that's not even the the bigger expectation. Um, mm. you know, that's that's the that's the minimum expectation. But but uh, I guess when you are taking over a team that's ninth, at the time everyone thought Atletico would probably go through against Chelsea, given that they were yeah, top of La Liga. Right. Um, I think you that. It's very easy to forget that and. Uh, because what happens is when you have a good run of form, you forget mm. where you were and you, your expectations go up. Mm. Um, mm. But if you told me in January that Chelsea would be in the Champions League final, um, would would have top four in their own hands with two games to go and have lost the FA Cup final, I would have taken that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think most Chelsea fans would have done. So it's you've got to have some perspective. and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think actually Chelsea have a better chance of winning the Champions League final than of uh, than they did in the FA Cup final because Manchester City won't sit back mm. and play a low block. No, uh, and that's where Chelsea struggle the most against mm. low blocks mm. because they don't create enough. Man City will, will 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 that's just not how Man City play. That's that's not how they play, and so that will create more opportunities. And Chelsea seem to play better mm. against better teams. Yeah. They've beaten Manchester City twice, they've beaten Real Madrid, they've beaten Atletico Madrid twice, they've beaten Liverpool, they've beaten Spurs. Mm. You know, the, the games where they've dropped points or lost have been against, you know, teams that they should be beating comfortably, like mm. West Brom, Porto. Uh, Arsenal. Um, Arsenal, you know, mm. that's... Yeah. The only team that I think that is our equal that has beaten us is, is Leicester. Because yeah. Leicester are, are as good as Chelsea as a team. Mm. They might not have the individual talents that Chelsea have, but as a team, they are—they are. I mean, they're—they're they're, they're where they are for a reason. Yeah, you know? I think they have a right to a performance in that final. But whether we win or not is a different different thing. Generally, uh, if it was a one-word answer, I think it'd be Chelsea, wouldn't it, for you? Who you think is probably going to have the edge on those two games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Who's got more to lose? It's Chelsea, isn't it? Chelsea got more to lose. Oh yeah, yeah. less than yeah. nothing to lose now. Yeah. They've won the FA Cup. Yeah. So even if they don't. Even if they lose both their next games and finish fifth, it doesn't. It's not it the end matter. of the world. They'll, they'll it does talk. matter, but it's not the end of the world. I think. No, they'll, they'll forget it. They'll forget it because they've won the FA Cup, and that's just that's and that's the first time they've ever won the FA Cup. And 
you can't match that. Like the, the first time you win a trophy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's fair. It's emotional. Yeah. It's a big thing. They'll come. They'll they'll be disappointed mm. if they don't make the top four, but they'll still think it's been a great season because they won the FA Cup. Sure. Anyway, then on to ne- on to the next sort of discussion point is. Uh, my look at sort of the elite elite level strikers, the rare commodities of the world. I see every every uh, passing day. There's always a link to a, a Harry Kane or an Erling Haaland or a um, a Kylian Mbappe occasionally. Um, I've been a few links to Lewandowski as well, actually, which um, which was not too surprising. He's getting on a little bit, but phenomenal uh, goal numbers as as we'll discuss later. With the three of Kane, Haaland and Mbappe, there's always quite a big price tag of over 100 million attached to it. And lots of pundits usually say, oh, well, all they need is an Erling Haaland, all they need is a Harry Kane, all they need is a is a Kylian Mbappe. Actually, I should put Lukaku in there as well. He's been thrown in. Yes. You know, yeah. all, all we need is a Lukaku. Um, but, you know, there's other than three or four names, there's a lot of European clubs, a lot of players that want the top-level strikers. You can't all have a piece of each of these, you know. Back in the day of, a, well, well, quite a while ago, maybe 10 years ago, there's you know, so many strikers that could get you 20, 25 goals, and now it seems a lot less. Um, generally speaking, just on a, on a general tactical front, do you think that's because there's a more fluid system in play with a lot of European clubs? I mean, for example, Liverpool haven't played with a striker really, for three years. They played with a false nine. Manchester City this year won the title and potentially the treble. They've already won the double. They could win the treble um, if they, um, w- without really playing a strike of the whole season, played a false mm. nine. Um, listen, obviously it works. For, by Lewandowski's tearing it up at Bayern Munich, Erling Haaland, tearing it up at Dortmund and Lukaku, tearing it up for Inter Milan. Mbappe as well can play in any of the three forward positions, doing wonderfully well for PSG, but I suppose there is, it's not as prominent as it once was, is it? Get a 20-25 goal man and you'll do well. Manchester City's highest goal scorer this year, Jen, I think. I think it's, I think it's Gundogan. I think he's got something like 12 or 13. Oh, Google yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, they, they could win the treble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we'll touch on this in the next topic as well, but football, it's a mark of how football changed. You know, that you've, the, the last two champions... Mm. Have not had a twenty-five goal a season traditional striker playing mm. for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, because when Man City, when Man City won it before, they had Sergio Aguero who was yeah. playing every week, so he counts as that. that but player. James, but, even yeah. even when he played towards the end of his time with Guardiola, he was dropping really deep, almost false nine esque, wasn't he? And linking play, yeah. I know he scored yeah. a lot, but. Yeah, he's not your traditional kind of number nine, is he? He's not like your, you know, your kind of Harlan Parku. Well, he, he uh, was he was under he was player. he was under Pellegrini, I think, and I think under Mancini they primarily used him as the the, the man, you know, to be in and around the box at all times and get on the yeah. end of things. But yeah. like you say now, or at least not now, now he's he's not playing. But you know, a season or two ago, when he was doing really well under Guardiola, he was much about linking the play, and then. You'd have people like Sterling scoring and Mares and and people like that scoring goals from wide and De Bruyne, of course, and people like that. So, like you say, James, I think it, it, it's not necessarily it specifically yeah. recently. You know, the no, and, and, and Pep Guardiola mentioned the other day that Aaron Torres can play as a striker and that he may use him there in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it may, you know, it, it could be that they just instead of buying a striker, they just put him as 
their new striker. And he got a hat-trick the other day. Unbelievable uh, goal good. on the back heel, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So um that could be that could be what they do. It depends, you know. Uh, Manchester City aren't known to spend a hundred million pounds on players. Um no. You know, they're, they're 62 even... million is the record, isn't it, for Rodri? Yeah, it's, it's it's incredible, really, when you think about it. Um, they refused to buy Van Dyke because he because he was too expensive. Um, which, you, when you think how good Van Dyke, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, well, <laughs> um, Van yeah, Dyke and Diaz, that would really, be good. You know, yeah. so um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Um, it depends. I think I think if they if they found someone who was good enough and it was in their budget, they would. They would do it because, yeah. I mean, can you imagine Harry Kane in that Manchester City team? Yeah, I know, I know. This is what this I mean, is what like. Yeah, Jordan I mean, said especially this now before. because Harry Kane's game has kind of evolved and he yeah. got for a lot more as well and gets involved in play and mm-hmm. uh, had a lot of assists this year, not just goals. So yeah. um, you can't say that wouldn't improve Manchester City, but no. do they absolutely need to do that. That's what that's what I would say. I mean, this is probably this is not. not- it's an argument. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, uh, Jordan said it. it's not just Jordan. Everyone, there's people, other people on this podcast who said similar stuff, and uh, pundits in the media, and they say like, "Oh, Erling Haaland's the missing piece of the puzzle for Manchester City." Well, if it's the missing piece, they could win the treble this year. What? What? Yeah. What? If Erling Haaland comes, are they going to win five trophies if we include the Community Shield? Exactly. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you can't do much better than they've done this season. Mm-hmm. Um, they could get. If they win their games in hand, they will have what eighty nine points. Yeah, um, which is about standard for the title now. And they, not- let's be fair; they played Scott Carson, and you know, in, yeah. in recent games, and Scott Carson hasn't played a league game for nearly ten years or more than ten years. I think no, in Premier League. Incredible. That was a great story. Yeah, um, and he saved Premier penalty, League Premier League game. Must have. Yeah, he saved a penalty as well, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, we yeah. I think the, the transfer market this summer is going to be really going to be interesting because because not many clubs are going to have big money to spend. Mm. You know, because of COVID, that's still affecting clubs. Mm. So, um, not many not many big signings will happen. I don't think some yeah. will, some will, yeah. some yeah. will, but but not. It won't be like it was before the pandemic. You know, no. I'm saying. Yeah. Um, you will have the you will have a few players moving for big money, mm. and that might kickstart other clubs you know down the ladder hopefully mm. um but but yeah so yeah and this this is one of the reasons Leicester are doing so well is because yeah. they're really smart in the transfer market yeah, they yeah. they buy quality but they get it cheap and yeah. um they find they find they find quality players for not much money mm. and you fit with how they want to play and yeah. they just get deals done I feel like though with these hundred million pack, like so, so if your club signed this player, you'd be delighted. You'd be delighted if they signed one of those. Okay, oh, yeah. you would, you would. But right, so let's take Chelsea for example. Chelsea have a problem with finishing Chelsea in front of goal. Fair enough. Okay, so yeah, um, if you put one of those strikers in there and you say, mm, pick, pick a striker, pick a striker, pick uh, uh, Lukaku. Yeah, right. Okay, so if Lukaku comes in, and to be fair. It, I would love to see Lukaku with Chelsea. You know, I'm so not going to... Yeah, well, that's fair enough. But, <laughs> but I mean, Antonio Conte wanted him way back when. That would have been yeah, interesting. No, exactly, yeah, yeah. But my th- thinking is, the way Chelsea play now, it's not like... Because I, I've seen Timo Werner get a lot of criticism because he's not clinical enough. I think that's fair, because I don't think he has been clinical enough. But it's not... If Timo Werner was getting all the chances every game for Chelsea, 
and missing all the chances every game for Chelsea. Then it's easy. You say, okay, like for like, swap him out, Lukaku in, and you imagine he's going to score a lot of goals, more than Werner would in that situation. But the reality is, it's not just Werner missing all the chances. Havertz, Pulisic, Mount, Ziyech. I mean, it's mm. if yeah. Lukaku comes in, is Mount going to suddenly start scoring all his chances? Is yeah, exactly. Guy... It is something bigger than just signing a player. But yeah, I mean, in, in the case of Chelsea, I think I think it would help if they had a if they had a a, a proven goal scorer. Um, I actually think Timo Werner would benefit from playing alongside someone like Romelu Lukaku. Mm. Um, Lukaku plays almost alongside Martinez for. For he did, Inter. Yeah, he did. And um, so if you had those two up front together, they would probably feed off each other. But uh, I can't but, believe Tim Averne's gonna gonna miss as many chances next season no. as he has this season. But um, he missed a lot for Leipzig, and the reason why I think he scored a lot for Leipzig was because they simply created lots and lots of chances. So my thinking is instead of going out and saying, right, we're gonna get a hundred and twenty million pound striker, why don't you actually say, right, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, Hakim Zayesh, be more clinical. And create better chances and finish your chances. Yeah, there's there is an argument going around around Chelsea fans right now as to whether we should sign a creative player mm. um, like a like a Grealish or a, a Sancho, mm. um, spend big money on that to create more chances, um, as well as signing a new striker. Um, <laughs> you can't have everything though, can you? Um, I mean, yeah, you have to you have to spend less on a striker if you want mm. to do that, or you'd, or you'd have to be really clever and buy a creative player who wasn't as expensive or something. You'd have to mm. balance it somehow. But um, I do think there is a problem. I mean, you know, you know, Chelsea have had a problem against low blocks all season. They haven't yeah. created chances against them. Um, and and yeah, if you can't create Manning, chances, what's the point in getting £140 million man to score chances? Exactly. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I think there was a bit of both because Chelsea will lose two strikers this summer, most likely. So they, Probably. They'll need, to find at least, they'll need to sign at least one. So, mm. uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it, yeah. That's why you can't just buy a hundred million pounds striker and expect them to just suddenly do yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. There has to be a tactical plan. There yeah. has to be a system which suits them. There has to be um, there have to be have chances to score. And as well, um, if you get someone like that, literally, it's like so. Let's suppose. I mean, it's all hypothetical speaking, but if you get a hundred million pound striker, you expect the whole team will play, whether it's psychologically or whatnot. I guarantee would start to play so that they get the chances every single time. It kind of negates the fluidity of having three or four players that can get into positions and finish the ball off. I mean, Manchester City have been so good this season because you don't know who's going to score. The highest goal scorer's got 12, Gundogan. So you get De Bruyne making the late run, you get Foden making runs, you get uh, Bernardo Silva, obviously Gundogan because he's the highest goal scorer. You know, Mares coming in from it on his left foot. You just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know... You, you can't you can't prepare for it. You can't say, right, put the man on Lukaku, put the man on Holland. Granted, they're going to be good, so it's going to be a hard task. But you can kind of prepare a little bit for that. I mean, when Dortmund played City, Holland was non-existent for two games, you know, because it, they knew that he would... Well, non-existent's a bit harsh. He had the, he had one good chance to near one-on-one where Edison saved it, but it, there, you know where the threat is. With Man City, you don't know where the threat is. With Chelsea, I couldn't tell you the, the starting front three. You know, I, I, I don't know who to, who's, who's the person I should be marking and then all of a sudden someone's gone past me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, it's one of those where if I'm, a, if I'm a fan of a club, I'm loving one of these signings. No one, everyone revels and models over these extravagant signings. You, 
you know, that, that's football fans. I, I would, you know, I completely understand that. But I just think in terms of the bigger picture, often tactical tweaks and just it's simply improving things from that from that standpoint, improving systems, improving the way you create chance, improving efficiency in front of goal, something that surely can be worked on on the training ground. I think it can. I think it can. And when you've got talented players who are capable of mm. scoring goals... I think Chelsea uh, do, by the way. Especially young players, because, yeah. you know, if you're using Chelsea as an example, they've got a lot of young, young attacking talent. Kai Havertz is a goal scorer. He, uh, you know, at uh, Leverkusen, he scored a lot of goals playing as a as a false nine. Mm. Um, he's 20, 21, 22. Yeah. Mason Mount is 22. Christian Pulisic is 22. You know, mm. the, Hudson Adoy is 20. You yeah. know, there's there's a lot of young attacking talent who are not not at their prime yet. And could and would probably benefit from good coaching. And Thomas Tuchel is an excellent coach yeah. who's good at improving young players. And yeah. so you'd think with a proper preseason that he would probably improve them and work on those things. I'm sure he's noticed that Chelsea are not not taking enough chances. Oh, I think it's um, obvious. <laughs> so um, I'm sure that they'll be working on that, whether they sign a striker or not. Um, but. You know what? Yeah. Who I, you know who I think's the most, the best value for money forward in the Premier League right now? Danny Ings. Twelve months left on his contract. Yeah, yeah I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. What you twenty-five million? I think you probably have him because I don't think he's going to sign. He's got twelve months left on his contract. You know, Southampton don't want to lose him for free, especially during a pandemic, and he's particularly good because he's not expensive. And I mean, even if Manchester City, I've I've quoted this a few times. Some people laugh. Some people took me seriously. But if Manchester City signed Danny Ings. They wouldn't have to play him every. He wouldn't expect to play every week. He'd be happy to be there. He could contribute a lot generally if they needed that option in a game where they might feel they need something different. But primarily, they've done so well with the false nine system. It doesn't make sense to rip that up and say, "Right, we're going to go with a you know." Exactly. A, a yeah, I've, I've made the same argument with Manchester City mm. and Danny Ings. He's a, yeah, he'd be he'd be a very shrewd signer for somebody. Oh, yeah. Liverpool and Danny Ings. Liverpool are sure to Yeah, He's got unfinished yeah. business at Anfield, as far as I'm concerned. I think ultimately, from my point of view, it comes down to the fact that I think the highest transfer in the Premier League is 89 million, I think, for Paul Pogba. I think that, and that's quite a while ago as well. Jose Mourinho signed him for Yeah, 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 it was. But yeah. I feel generally quite uncomfortable about £100 million signings and, and what it means. And I mean, when you do that, generally, I think, it gives a lot of power to the player coming in, but also it sort of, I think, fuels the fire to why we even had talks about a European Super League not long ago, because when you just keep having finances that keep going over and over and bigger and bigger, and when these, when some of these £100 million players don't work out like Coutinho, the club are in a chaotic financial state. And how do you get out of that? You need more money coming in. How do you get more money coming in? You come up with far, you know, farcical money pit suggestion ideas like the European Super League. So just generally, always I always feel a bit uneasy about £100 million superstar signings. I just think it promotes the wrong things. And, and you just look at Leicester, for example, and for shrewd recruitment. You look at Brendan Rodgers, who's a shrewd tactician who builds a system that works for all his players and look how well they're doing. Get a good tactician on board. Don't invest your house on individuals unless it's absolutely necessary and in many people many clubs cases I really don't think it is I really don't think it is mm. yeah. yeah there's a lot of clubs who who won't invest that much 2022 someone's going to be interesting because yeah 
that's when Erling Holland's um, yeah, we'll dis- dis- could discuss that slightly after because Dortmund are probably going to get top four now. But we get up to your topic, actually, James. I think it's a good one, good one because okay. it's sort of you know we'll be talking a bit tactically there, and, and and something you you touched on is how foreign coaches have influenced the English game, and I'll just start my my own initial thoughts on that really. And Guardiola being the main one, I I don't know if you heard, but Robbie Savage said recently that Guardiola was the best manager in the history of the Premier League which I think was slightly pushing it because I think mm. obviously Sir Alex Ferguson dominated English football since the inception of the Premier League in 92. He never finished lower than third in a season. Um, he over, he oversaw many changes, different generations of players. Obviously, there were core crux of people, Neville, Scholes, Giggs, that seemed to go mm. through the whole time with him. But over that time, he had to chop and change. He had to win battles with players he had to assert authority had to maintain the respect of the players had to adapt to the different differentiating nature of, of football over the years so in that I, I i've got to i will say i don't agree with robbie savage on that particular one but his point was that guardiola influenced football in england and the way people looked at it more than any other coach in the premier league and in that respect i think he's right i agree i agree um, yeah, I agree exactly with what you said. Sir Alex Ferguson is still, for me, the greatest Premier League manager. Uh, his record speaks for itself. You know, he built five teams. He won the European Cup twice. Um, Arsene Wenger second as well, I think. Sorry, Arsene Wenger second. I would, I would suggest. Uh, yeah, because yes, because of what he brought into the English game in terms of training, fitness, diet, professionalism, all that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and never finished, I think he finished fifth, didn't he, in one season. But other than that one season, it was always top four for Arsenal, always yeah, the championship. Yeah, and that looks an even bigger achievement now than it, than it did at the time, let's be honest. Um, but, but yes, Pep Guardiola, in terms of the football philosophy, not just in the Premier League, but in the Championship, um, and even further down, um, has had a huge influence mm. on English football, and football generally. Um because, and I had I, I actually traced this back to the genesis of, of Pep Guardiola's philosophy and it's how it's intertwined with the kind of Gengenpressen philosophy with Ralph, which Ralph Ragnick and Jurgen Klopp kind of pioneered as well. Um, Pep Guardiola kind of, he, he learned his most of his philosophy under um, Johan Cruyff at Barcelona. And then he obviously he worked with... Um, he worked with Bobby Robson as a player. He worked with Van Hal as a player and Jose Mourinho as an assistant. So he would have learned from all of those people. Like Jose Mourinho, in his own way, was a bit of a pioneer in, in the early 2000s in his tactical preparation, his tactical analysis, um, his training methods, everything. He was a bit of an innovator at that point. That's why, that's one of the reasons he was winning everything. He was just ahead of the game. Um, at that point, um, I think what Pep Guardiola did is kind of he took some of what Mourinho did in that tactical sense. He added a bit of course philosophy to it. Um, obviously, he had his own ideas as well. I think he evolved course philosophy, um, the kind of passing possession, play the ball out from the back, keep the ball, don't don't pass the ball long. Um, I remember the the story of Pep Guardiola took a defender off at half time because he tried a long ball out from the back instead of trying to pass it out from the back. 
Um, um, he was that hot on on players adhering to this philosophy. Mm. Um, now that revolutionized football. Everyone loved that Barcelona team that Pep Guardiola managed. It was mm. probably one of the greatest teams of all time. Mm. Then he went to Germany. Now this is where it gets interesting because you have you, see, you already had kind of, Jurgen Klopp was already managing Dortmund, I think, at that point, mm. um, and he'd had some success. Uh, he was bringing in this kind of gang on pressing, which is like the like high press, mm. um, very intense, aggressive style of football. Um, win the ball back on the counter from the counter attack, and within a couple of passes, you're attacking. Uh, and so, so Pep goes into that league, and he encounters that for the first time. Um, and I think he influenced German football a lot and German coaches a lot. Um, I think there's two coaches now who come out of Germany who I think have the influence of both Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola and have kind of amalgamated their two philosophies. Um, and I'm talking about um, Nagelsmann and I'm talking about and Thomas Tuchel have both I think they've both said they've been influenced by Pep Guardiola, and I think they've also been influenced by Jurgen Klopp. I think they've, uh, and now of course Thomas Tuchel is managing in the Premier League, so I suspect next season you'll see a bit more of his real philosophy. We don't think we've seen it yet, um, but so he's not just influenced Pep Guardiola's not just influenced the style of football. He's influenced a lot of coaches. Mm. Potter, Graham Potter. Um, is you know you can see the influence of Pep Guardiola on him, someone like him and Eddie Howe, you know the style of football that they play, and they and Graham Potter was doing this was playing that football in the Championship, mm. the football that Swansea are playing at the moment, you know, mm. um, and in Sweden as well. Yeah, and it's it's all possession, passing out from the back, you know, getting the ball forward quickly. And it's it's a he's had a huge influence. He's had influence on on coaches on on the next generation of coaches. Um, a lot of the young English coaches coming through now play that style of football. I mean, Brendan Rodgers is a, is a kind of, uh, I mean, he was kind of managing before Pep Guardiola came to England, but his style of football was very much a passing style of football, possession-based style of football. Um, he's kind of been flexible with his tactics at Leicester, but he still essentially wants to play that kind of football. Uh now, and what's interesting as well is how Pep Guardiola has evolved as a coach since mm. he's been in England. Because mm. the team that has won the title this season is very different to the one that won the title in uh, his, the first two titles that he won. Um, they're much more organised at the back. Um, there's um, the, the the way that they're not more down to personnel. Would you say though? I mean, really? Yeah, I think that's, no, that is down to personnel. But I also think that it. I think also he's he's had to adapt himself. Um, especially with the fixture congestion, the lack of preceding mm. with the pandemic and all of that, I think he he felt he had to adapt himself a little bit, uh, and he has. They've still got the you know the possession based passing style of football, very attacking, look to create chances and score a lot of goals. They still do that, mm. um, but he's also been more flexible in terms of mm. how they've played, and mm. so he's evolved as well as a coach. But yeah, you can see the influence of 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 Pep Guardiola, uh, you know, in in all the way through English football now, and it's yeah. and Jurgen Klopp as well. Jurgen Klopp's had a big influence. I mean, um, 
yeah. Um, so, and I think, like you say, you've got now you've got Thomas Tuchel in the Premier League. We're going to see a bit more of, of his philosophy, and, mm. and I suspect Nagelsmann will eventually come to the Premier League. Yeah, and we'll see a bit of that. And so, um, yeah, it's we'll really, see really Bayern Munich as well, Nagelsmann. Yeah, yeah. we'll see it with Bayern Munich for sure yeah. because um, well, with the players that they have in their squad, um, and he's a very good coach. Um, mm. uh, he's still young, you know. He's still getting better. So, yeah, we'll see. To be honest, it's, it's like that idea, isn't it? No idea or thought or opinion is a unique opinion or thought or idea. It's always been influenced by something else. So like you just said, Guardiola's ideas came from Johan Cruyff. Johan Cruyff's ideas probably came from a, uh, someone, I'm not actually sure where, you're, I'd have to look into that a little bit more, but generally, uh, a bit before my time, that one, but generally all ideas come from something else. Like you said, the influence that various different people, Bobby Robson as well, uh, Lou Van Gaal had, would have had on Pep Guardiola and now Pep Guardiola putting that forward on the likes of Potter on the likes of Howe. I mean, in terms of specifics in England, I mean, I think the ball-playing goalkeepers become mainstream now. It's not, you yes, know, the past five years. It's the biggest one, I think, for me. Maybe that... The biggest, and, biggest change that everyone can see. because And yeah, if, central defenders too. Central defenders too, because... Yeah, now, yeah, exactly, because... Um, now you've got to be able to play the ball out from the back as a centre back. You have to. That's why it's not I... like you have a ball playing centre back and a centre back who who can't do that. Yeah, yeah. Every centre back has to be able to do that to a certain to a certain level. So um, I kind of like the um, I kind of like the the ones that go against the grain now are the ones who who don't apply themselves to that to that metric. Um, Sean Dyche, who manages Michael at Burnley, actually said quite amusingly recently, he said, I don't believe in passing in the six-yard box, but if I got, you know, some expensive players in, I might push it to passing around the 18-yard box, which I thought was quite amusing. <laughs> um, I yeah, I mean, it's just comical there. But, but I do, like now, find some warmth in a way because total football is the way really if we had to say how do you want your team to play always especially five six years ago you'd have said i want this player like guardiola's barcelona i want to play total football like christ ajax i want to play in this idealized fashion but now i do find a bit of um warmth in the in the, in the, the managers and the setups that don't go for that that go for something a bit different so Maybe an Antonio Conte team that that sets up with yeah. a three at the back, likes to get the ball forward quickly, uses the big old-fashioned target man like Lukaku. Although, by the way, he's made Lukaku, he's changing from a target man to an elite-level striker. He's done remarkably well with him. But somewhat, people that don't just assume that there's one way for the game to be played, I do enjoy I, seeing teams physically tussle Area battle for aerial duels. My team, Burnley, lofting balls into the box for the big strikers to try and get on the end of it. Same with Conte, using physicality to advantage in certain areas. Um, Jose Mourinho actually uh, grinding out, playing the worst kind of negative football you can imagine, trying to get a draw or a point with 20% of the ball. The more we see the beautiful game played in one way, the more I appreciate the varieties that other managers come up with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm the same, actually. I I have great respect for, for Sean Dyche and and, um, and what, he's, what he's achieved at Burnley and continues to achieve. Mm. You know... Um, James, actually, quite, quite, quite sort of relevant because Euros are coming up. In the World Cup, France won the World Cup by playing a pragmatic, 
organised and defensive style of play throughout the whole tournament. They weren't trying to play a brand of football where they looked to entertain or where they wanted to have 75-80% of the ball. They looked to play an effective, functional brand of football with the players that were there. Yeah, you're right. And that yeah, that and that and that's one of the reasons I actually think Jose Mourinho would, would do better going back to international management. Yeah, I agree. International management. Yeah. Because in a major tournament when you've got to play seven games to win a tournament mm. and you've just got to win individual games, he's the perfect manager for that. He sets up teams to to, yeah. to win individual matches. And as a as a disclaimer though, James, I know I've sort of talked up the opposite, but but what Guardiola has done for English football, I think is brilliant because Yes, I do. Even though I enjoy seeing different brands of football now, on a level to build sustainable systems of play and to see lots of different teams, smaller teams, trying to play to this identity, which is, you know, generally I do believe it is the the nicest and most attractive way to play. I think it's really refreshing to see teams coming up from the championship and trying to do that same style. Teams lower down in the table trying to embody similar um, elements to to Guardiola and to to that. What we see with the passing goalkeepers, we see with the centre-backs coming out, we see with everyone wanting to be comfortable on the ball. It does look right. It is aesthetically pleasing. However, it's also important that it doesn't just become the norm and it's not football communism, if you will, where everything is yeah, absolutely yeah, the same. Yeah. The one thing I've noticed as well is that is is that even when teams try and play a pragmatic way, they're mm-hmm. still playing possession football. They're still passing mm-hmm. the ball around. Like Chelsea are a good example of this. Mm-hmm. They're playing quite a pragmatic style of play under Thomas Tuchel so far, but they like to keep possession. They like to control possession. They like to mm-hmm. pass the ball. They like to play the ball out from the back. You know, it's not kind of boring defensive football. They're still at quite a high line, but it's pragmatic. Yeah. So I think it, I think that's an interesting development as well because everyone was saying that you know Pep Guardiola is just all out, just just an attacking manager, mm. um, and you know that's not not the truth. Uh, it's not actually true. That's how he's evolved as well. I think he's yeah. found a pragmatic way to implement his philosophy, which is a sign it's really taking hold. Actually, yeah, no, it's well put. Anyway, on to the uh, final par- portion, looking at some of the matches. I mean, we're talking about strikers and differences in terms of elite strikers. I mean, Lewandowski is an elite striker. He's of the wrong side of 30, so he has actually been linked with a few Premier League clubs because some suggestions that Haaland might end up going to Bayern and Lewandowski might end up going to Premier League maybe next year. That would be interesting. But he's done remarkably well uh, this season. 40 goals in the Bundesliga. That's a record held by Gerd Muller. He's equaled it. He's one more game to play. Um, and if he scores, he breaks that 40-goal record. Now, it's even more impressive when you consider the Bundesliga currently, uh, the setup is uh, it's an 18-team league, so that means 34 games, not 38, like you'd have in the Premier League. You know, and and, and he did have a few... He, he's been injured for a couple of games. Of course, he missed the... Uh, Champions League tie entirely with Paris Saint-Germain which probably had a big effect on the result yeah. of that but he got a goal in 2-2 draw with Freiburg Bayern have won the league at this point but they will all I mean I don't know if you saw but when, when he scored the players and the staff and the management were all applauding him and serenading him almost because he had equaled that amazing landmark um, phenomenal footballer isn't he absolutely world class mm. uh, he's been at the top of European game for about 10 years now I remember mm. I remember watching that game for Borussia Dortmund where mm. he got four goals 
it might have been against Real Madrid. I think it was. Yeah, it was Real Madrid. Um, he was absolutely. That was that was kind of the game where start, everyone started to take notice of him. I think in he he'd already been scoring lots of goals for Dortmund before that, but that game kind of announced him, and he's been absolutely world class ever since. Um, he's done it in the Champions League. He's done it. You know, he's done it. Uh, he's done it for Bayern in in domestic league. And people talk about you know the Bundesliga being kind of more attacking, but. Mm. Um, to get 40 league goals in a season it's ridiculous you know I mean and when you think Bayern Munich have, have won the Champions League last season as well mm. um, and he you know the amount of goals he's got in the Champions League is another testament to yep. his class if you can score in the Champions League yeah then you that, that that's the level that if you're, if you're even questioning the league that they play and then yeah. look at the Champions League stats and his stats in the Champions League are phenomenal as well. Well, I mean, Dortmund, everyone said it's always Bayern and Dortmund the top. Dortmund's had a really tough year this year, but they have. They are in the top four now, mathematically in the top four, which is brilliant for Dortmund because they were in a lot of debt. Marco Rosa was coming in from Mönchengladbach and at the time, I think Marco Rosa would have thought, hang on, I thought I was joining a Champions League club, but they might not actually get into the Champions League for the first time in quite a while. Um, as it happens, they've really turned it round. Yeah, and Sancho's come back uh, with a bang. They beat Leipzig, who are second in the league, 3-1 in the German Cup final, yeah. as well as um, winning this weekend 3-1 against Mainz um, in the German Cup final. Uh, two goals, 4-1, sorry, it was 4-1. Two goals for uh, Erling Haaland and two goals for um, Jadon Sancho. We think the latter will probably be off in the summer, but if they keep the Champions League, if they go into the Champions League, it means that Erling Haaland will probably stay for another year uh, under his previous manager at Red Bull Salzburg. Yes, I think that's a fair assessment of that. Mm. Uh, I think if, if Dortmund had not made Champions League football this year, they may have had to sell... Erling Haaland would have been, or Erling Haaland would probably have pushed to leave because I think he wants to play Champions League football. Now they probably will make Champions League and that he will stay. And then next summer will be interesting because he has that release clause about 75 million, unless mm. they. Euros uh, as well, that Euros, 62 million pounds. Which they could change. Dortmund have been sneaky like that before mm. and done things and extended contracts and things without telling anyone. Mm. So um, there's always a chance of that. But I doubt it because Real would probably have pushed them hard to to get that release clause in. So there'll be a big scramble for that signature next summer. One of the advantages of having Raiola, isn't it, as your as your super agent, that he doesn't let small details go under the under the rug. There's the issue of Lewandowski and Bayern, and you know, there's wouldn't surprise me going around that that. That Harlem will agree to join Bayern next summer for the release clause, and, and Lewandowski, Lewandowski will be sold. Will, will be sold. Um, and there's rumours that Lewandowski is kind of worried about this. One <laughs> is kind of aware of this, yeah. and um, think look, almost kind of looking around to see if he if he can if he can move. I actually would like to see Erling Haaland play in the Premier League. I wouldn't mind Lewandowski in the Premier League. You know? I'd love to see Lewandowski in the Premier League <laughs> as long as they're at my club. That's a career decision for Erling Haaland. Erling Haaland mm-hmm. feels is the kind of player I feel like wants to play. Doesn't just want to play in the German league his whole career. I think he wants no. to. I think he wants to play in the Premier League. I think he'd like to play probably in the Spanish league as well at some point. He's one of those players mm. that will move a couple of times at least. Um, mm. So if, if Bayern are hoping that he'll go there and stay there for ten years, I don't think that mm. you know, that's, that's probably that's probably not realistic. But mm. but, um, How but do you yeah, think- that'll be an interesting one next summer. But yeah. I think he will stay there, and they've done really well. I mean, to win. They were seven points off the top four yeah. a few weeks ago. Yeah. 
and they didn't look they were they didn't look in real trouble. Um, Sancho's been yeah. in very good form recently, though. Yeah, I mean, Sancho's like, ended the season fantastically yeah. well. Yeah, so, scoring goals, creating goals. He's got about twenty assists this year, I think. Just in time um, for the Euros. Yeah, just and Euros. just in time for him to make a big money move to the Premier League. Perhaps, <laughs> um, yeah. but more, more, more recent, more early than that, the Euros, I think, um, for sure. And well, yeah, like, it depends on when Dortmund want, want want the deal done. I think they, I don't think they'll want to hang around. But no, yes, the Euros first, and hopefully he gets picked and starts. Um, it, it's kind of amazing the, the, the amount of attacking talent England has is uh, quite phenomenal. To be it, is, it is crazy. Tell you what, what do you think about Leipzig? There, I mean, obviously Nagelsmann is going to be leaving. Jesse March coming in from Salzburg, and they like to do that because Red Bull own both clubs, so it's a nice little easy transaction. Um, obviously, yeah. from Jesse March to go from the Austrian Bundesliga to the German Bundesliga, um, I think it obviously. Uh, I'm sure he will. You know, it's certainly an upgrade for him, but. Difficult, I think, at Leipzig. I mean, I think he did, uh, Nagelsmann's done a really good job to lose Timo Werner, their main, main source of goals, uh, last season. And to carry on really without that, um, I think, you know, I think he's done quite well. I think he came up short a bit in the Champions League against Liverpool. But, you know, he, he yeah. you know, we expect him to do well for Bayern Munich. But where does it leave Leipzig? Is, are they are they going to struggle a bit now? I mean, they've had, you know, Leipzig's had some good managers over the years. They've had, I have. I, I, I... Jesse Marks is a talented young manager, that's mm. for sure. Um, but they're very good at recruitment. Red mm. Bull, uh, Leipzig they tend to be very good at recruitment. Um, they have a model which they use. They recruit mm. players, young talent, and then they sell them on. It's mm. just, it's their model. They, they sold Timo Werner last summer. They sold Apamecano this summer. They may sell Canate as well. Mm. Um, Liverpool linked there, aren't they? All yeah. Liverpool are interested in him. Mm. So, the whole way that that Red Bull structure is run is very efficient. I think they're second in the Bundesliga and they got to the cup final. Um, last season, they got to the Champions League semi-final um, under Nagelsmann. Um, mm. So they're up there. They're a competitive team in Germany. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next season. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt about, about, the, about it that the, the Bayern will, will win things Probably, and will win yeah. the league next yeah. season. yeah. yeah. Nagelsmann is a top-class manager. He'll be working mm. with world-class players. Mm. You know, I'm sure that they will do. I think they, I think they're planning for him to be there for quite a while as well. Um, and he's he's he said that that's the club he was wanting to manage. So yeah. um, I don't think that will. Um, I don't think he'll be leaving Bayern anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Because you could win the Champions League. With Absolutely. Them, I mean, you know, we Bundesliga has been really done and done. It's just nice to see Dortmund doing well. Really, then there's a lot of different sort of. Um, interleague moves going going on but um in la liga i mean remarkable we just just as we've been, we've been recording this atletico went one nil down in a huge match against osasuna uh in the 75th minute but came out to win about two goals to one luis suarez with an 88th minute winner uh which means that with one game to go in la liga they are top by two points uh real madrid just behind in 81 barcelona losing this weekend um by two goals to one means that they are no longer in um, the hunt for the title. I mean, actually, they wouldn't have been anyway, given that Atletico had won today against Osasuna. Uh, and Sevilla, of course, at one point, they were, I think, separated by uh, three points, the top three, with Sevilla just behind with the game in hand, but Sevilla didn't, couldn't keep hold of a lead against Real Madrid. And they've fallen away since then as well. So... Yeah, I mean, it's Atletico v Real Madrid. It's a straight shootout. If Atletico 
Atletico need to win to to lift La Liga. If they draw, then they will have to hope that Real Madrid don't win by more than three goals. In fact, no, that's wrong because it's on head-to-head in La Liga, isn't it? Um, mm. So if, yep. if, if Real Madrid win, they will have... Atletico have to win to guarantee anything. If they draw and Real Madrid win, Real Madrid will win on head-to-head, I think, and win the league. But if... Essentially, to cut long story short, Atletico have to win. But it's been a very exciting La Liga title race. It's not been the highest of quality, but mm. it could be it could be one where Simeone takes the crown. It's looking that way at least. I would kind of like them to do that. Um, I'd like them to win it. I mm. think, yeah. I mean, especially um, well, they were in the Super League, though, weren't they? They were. They were yeah, everyone uh, was in the you. Everyone was in the I Super think, League. So I wanted I Leicester think, to win. I think them. I think that, but just how they built that team, like. Mm. The signing of Luis Suarez absolutely inspired. Yeah, you know, um, was really bad from uh, Barcelona, but yeah, uh, yeah, awful from Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, very true. He's done. He's done the business. You know, he's got them in this position with one game to go where they can win the league, and mm. it'll be, you know, it'd actually be nice to see somebody other than Real Madrid and Barcelona win the league as well. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I think everyone's an Atletico Madrid fan. This week, yeah. Um. Absolutely. Yeah, and and of course there's there's stories coming out of Spain as well that Zidane is going to step down. I heard, yeah, at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah. There's talk of uh, Max Allegri and Raúl as potential candidates take over. Yeah, which will be an interesting thing, and it'll be. And I think there's in, that that has implications maybe in Italian football because yeah, there's stories about Zidane going to manage Juventus. Yeah, uh, I think that will depend if if if. Um... Yeah. Andrea Pirlo can get a top four position. I know they beat Inter Milan 3-2 this week, yeah, which was a really big win. Um, but they are currently one point away from Napoli and Milan in fourth and third, and there's one game left. So it's huge, really huge for you. I mean, it's unthinkable to think, not only is this the first time Juventus haven't won the title in a very long time, they might not even finish in the top four. It used to be a top three in Italy. That's just crazy. But by all accounts, Pirlo has been a little bit unlucky in some in some elements. This team have generally played relatively okay football. There's a lot of young players coming through. Ronaldo's actually been doing really well for him, probably better than under Maurizio Sarri in terms of numbers generally. But it was always a strange one because he hadn't even passed his coaching badges when he got the job. And you just you just think that's a, a lot to put on someone who's not even passed the coaching badges, never mind had a few years' experience. It makes Frank Lampard seem like Jose Mourinho mm-hmm. for experience in the coaching world. Absolutely, yeah. It was always a baffling one to me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think as well, just yeah, just briefly, that that there's been enough examples recently for teams to work to be a bit wary about, particularly the bigger teams, giving untried and untested managers the chance so soon on? Because we've had Lampard, we've had Arteta, who's been a bit mm, PLO, uh, and Solskjaer's yeah. a bit different because he's managed for ten years and he's doing quite well now. So yes, he is. I think yes, I think that's true. I think I think that kind of I don't want to call it a fad, but that kind of that thing that kind of pattern that caught on it seems like every big club was trying it yeah changing their managers and uh i don't think they will be (laughs) i don't think they'll be trying it again let's put it that way um yeah yeah, i mean you saw with with chelsea when they said zidane worked though didn't it to be fair zidane Zidane worked worked. yeah zidane worked i think he's i think he's a good coach but i think also i think the squad that he inherited and at the particular club that he was at as well, where he had mm. a history, 
you know, where he, where he, um, where everyone was like, and and also you got to remember that the Spanish league is is not as, is not as competitive as the Premier League. Mm. Um, but that doesn't take away from his achievements because um, he got the best. He managed that that team well. They basically needed good man management mm. and a solid tactical structure, and he gave yeah. them that. You can't take that away from the coach. You can't you just. Can't. Just briefly, actually, James, uh, after Zidane um, and into, well, into the French League, just really briefly, final set of games this week. Uh, PSG and uh, and Lille are still to play this week, um, or at least they'll have played when this goes out, but we don't know how it's looking at the moment uh, in terms of the, they haven't actually finished their matches but uh, and, and Lille haven't started. But Lille, two games away from probably the biggest ever title win comparable to Leicester 15-16 across Europe it's remarkable Robin Hood's tale um, you know not much more to add really other than it could the wheels could literally fall off with all the financial things going on and the potential for the manager to get poached in the summer there's so much so much riding on this moment it's now or never if they do it it's going to go down in history as one of the biggest upsets I think of all time because not only is PSG a, a behemoth in France Leon and, Mo- and Monaco have far better squads than than Lille do, and are far better equipped for a title challenge. So if they win in these last two games, and they take the title off PSG, that is a remarkable achievement. And as I say, the only one I can think of that really stands up along that in in the main leagues in in Europe of, of I don't know the past 10, 15 years is is Leicester. Yeah, and Lille are really interesting because they employed. Um... His name's gone, but they employed a very well-known director of football. Mm-hmm. Um, their recruitment has been very, very good, very, very mm-hmm. smart. They have built again. It's like Leicester. They, it's exactly like Leicester. They've yeah. been very smart in their recruitment. They bought well, um, and but they are having money difficulties. Could lose the manager. Yeah. Could have to I mean, sell yeah, half the players. Actually, because Sumer is playing for Lille, and, and yeah. he's going to go to Leicester. So. Yeah. But Hopefully they, they can do it. This season is incredible. That is yeah. a really incredible achievement. And they deserve if they do it. credit for that. If they do it. Yeah, because PSG should be walking that. And league. there's no cup to fall back on, is there? Like with left, there's no cup. You can't really, if they don't do it now, it's devastation. Yeah. To get in that position as Lil and then not do it would be it would be awful. Uh, absolutely, uh, absolutely fingers crossed that they even though do. they will get Champions League football anyway, but it would still it's, be. It's, it, yeah, I'd be devastated. I'd be devastated if I was a Lille fan. I'm devastated as neutral, to be honest with you. But yeah, so close, so far, you don't want to see it. But anyway, rounded off. Well done. Good discussion. Thanks, James. Very retro feel. Good tactical insight. Good um, discussion on certain certain players in terms of in terms of the attackers this week. And yeah, join us next week at 15 Off Pod if you would like to. Follow the account at the Johnny Bentley if you would like to follow for DMs in these crazy times. And we'll see you next week. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.